Hello and welcome to Eldritch Girl Weird Gothic Stuff and Nonsense with me, CM Rosens. The theme tune is by Gemma Cartmill. The illustrations in the books are by Tom Brown. You can buy the books either direct from me from my Kofi shop, uh, or you can buy them from any ebook online retailer and the paperback currently from Amazon only. If you do want to buy me a coffee instead of buying the book, you can do that via my Kofi, which is www.kofi.com, so that's ko-fi.com forward slash cmrosens. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Content warnings for chapter eight. Um, I don't think there's anything more than we've already dealt with, but if you do get squeamish, and I know some people really do, about people eating raw meat and that sort of, you know, that trope where people eat raw mince out of the packet? Yeah, that's in here. So, um, yeah, you, you just be aware if you get a bit squeamish about that, that's coming up. <laughs> I'm just, just yeah, I'm just going to start doing like content warning Ricky Porter um, and have done. I think that's about, that's about it really. Enjoy. Chapter 8. Inbred and Evil, in which Ricky Porter comes for tea. 24th of April. That weekend, Carrie called in sick. She needed to think. Around her, Fairwood breathed. Wood creaked, bowing in and out. Open windows sucked in the inside air, blew out deep sighs. Doors clicked and swung without her touch. The dead clock in the hall ticked steadily, an impossible heartbeat. The house was in her head, rifling through her subconscious with fibrous fingers, picking over the images it needed and absorbing her into the mortar, scrapbooking her between the pages of its history. The voices were worse. She'd almost prefer the manifestation, at least that was the only one thing to focus on, but at the same time she couldn't cope with something bulging out at her through the walls. It seemed as though Fairwood could either be condensed down into an avatar or be alive in its own construction, but not both at the same time. When the avatar was around, the rooms stopped whispering. For the most part, Fairwood communicated in ideas and vibes, not words. Mainly what it communicated was a simmering, migraine-inducing indignance. Hatred for the town, for the despoilers and the vandals, for the attack on its current possessor, roiled up from the coal cellar in choking billows of flammable rage. Next to this, the medieval crypt, the only remnant of the original monastery on which Fairwood was built, chanted softly of peace and forgiveness. The upper floors had vengeance glinting in their window panes, shard sharp. The living room, which had seen the worst of Janet Varney's attack, nevertheless held out as the moralising centre, providing strains of structured rationality. Mercy had called, but Carrie couldn't face her. Guy had texted her, apparently oblivious of the night's events, to ask about a house tour, and Carrie had laughed hysterically and thrown her phone across the room. For three nights, she lay awake inside a sleeping house, listening to its ticking heartbeat keeping time to her pulse and striking the hours. On Tuesday morning, Carrie looked out of the window and saw Ricky Porter, hood up and hands in his pockets, behind the wire fence. As she watched, he gave it an experimental twang, lowering his ear to the vibrating length. What the hell is he doing? Carrie wondered aloud. 
She could feel the house watching him too, concentrating its focus through the window she was standing at, as if trying to borrow her eyes. Ricky straightened up, apparently satisfied with his test, and climbed carefully under the wire to stand on the lawn. He thrust his hands into his pockets, stamping the moist grass. Does he want to come in? Carrie scratched her head. Should we offer him tea or something? She had always talked to herself in the house. That, at least, wasn't new. It was as natural as breathing. The house didn't reply. Ricky had turned his back on the wishing well and was taking slow steps across the lawn, as if navigating a minefield. He seemed to be calculating a route towards the back door, avoiding dips in the grass and things she couldn't see. He reached the rockery and uncultivated garden where he stopped and looked up. He waved. Carrie pulled back and headed downstairs. He was waiting at the back door when she opened it, shifting from one foot to the other. Ricky was a far less intimidating figure in daylight and familiar surroundings, a grubby, slouching young man around her own age, in stained clothes and muddy shoes. He didn't take down his hood, but she could see him far more clearly now. His eyes weren't red today, his lips parted in a faint, crooked smile. Hey, she greeted, raking her fingers through her hair. You're alive in there, then? He peered around her at the range and the hearth. Haven't seen you go for your walks. I was beginning to wonder if you'd been took bad. The flash of grey between the trees flickered through her memory. So you have been watching me. Ricky cleared his throat, accent broadening as he feigned nonchalance with painful transparency. Don't flatter yourself, I just happened to go out the same time as usual. Against her better judgement, she stepped back from the door to allow him entry, but he hesitated on the threshold. You can come in, she prompted, watching his expression. He tilted his unshaven chin and scratched at his stubbled neck. Ain't up to you. Never has been. How do you mean? Ricky reached out with both hands, winced as though he encountered invisible resistance, then stepped back. All right, you still don't trust me. I'll be completely honest, will that help? He wasn't talking to her. He glanced around the walls, scanning the windows and casements. I've been none but good to you, haven't I? Pendleblood or no, you can't say as I didn't help you out time to time, chase kids off for you, never broke a window, never overstepped my bounds except that once, and I paid for it without complaint, didn't I? Got my fingers burned and served me right, but I only ever asked nice. He put his head on one side. You called me, not the other way round. You can choose now. Mistress Pritchard never thought of that, did she? Well, here I am. Carrie heard the house muttering in concert with itself, all the layers of history and personalities of its rooms chiming in all at once. She stepped away from the door and covered her ears, wincing, but the voices were inside her head. Please stop. I ain't said nothing. Not you. Carrie pressed her palms tight around her head, but it didn't help. The house felt her pain, and quiet descended. It picked a spokesroom. He never despoiled, never fractured, never hurt. Only for today. Then we'll see. Carrie swayed, feeling sick. Okay, she breathed. Okay, go for it. Ricky nodded. I had a word with Gran. She don't know anything about Janet Varney's little stunt the other night, and I believe her for what it's worth. Jan was acting on her own. Carrie folded her arms. 
Okay. Ricky let out a sudden boyish giggle, running a hand over his shaven head under the hood. This is the closest I've ever been allowed, he admitted, face lighting up like a child. Ever. I couldn't even get across the lawns before today. He grinned at her, full lips parted in a bright, happy smile. Are you going to let me in? You said okay, but... He sucked air through his teeth. You're still standing in the way like it's not. That ain't very hospitable. That's it? Carrie didn't move. Your gran isn't responsible, you think she's telling the truth, and... That's it. He thrust his hands back in his pockets, rocking back on his heels. What else do you want to know? Why won't the house let you in? He coughed. Long story. Be comfier inside, neighbourly to let me in first, offer me a pot of tea, say thank you Mr Porter for your life-saving assistance, I don't know, just throwing ideas around. Thank you, Carrie said, and meant it. Ricky studied her, seeking sarcasm, and blinked when he couldn't find any. Carrie stepped back from the door. Come on in. Just for today, though, Fairwood says, I want you to explain why the house isn't, isn't very clear today. Understood. His eyes were moist, wonder-wide, about to cry. He held it together. Carrie backed off as he put a careful hand on each side of the doorframe and climbed in as though encountering slight resistance. Lifting one leg high above the step and pushing through into the kitchen, leaning in, half in, half out. He pulled the other leg through as he pushed himself all the way in like a diver in a submerged vessel. Bizarre performance complete, Ricky Porter stood triumphantly in her kitchen, looking around at the door with a flicker of gleeful surprise. He bounced on his heels a couple of times, then, to her amazement, took off his muddy shoes and deposited them on the mat. His feet were calloused and bare, streaked with dirt. Well, ain't this a turn-up for the books, he sniffed, crooked smile splitting wider into a sharp-toothed grin. First of us to set foot in the place since 1958. Making history, I am. He laughed again in that sudden, unguarded way, releasing a childish bubble of joy. The old girl didn't make a much of a mess in here, at least. Could murder a cup of tea, by the way. I cleaned up, Carrie muttered, not registering his request as his comment triggered the memory of Mrs Varney lying open-throated on the ground. I didn't just... I couldn't just leave it. Jazz had returned briefly and taken the splintered remains of the living room door off its hinges, the boards now blocking up the broken window. She still needed to ring Joe Lynn and ask him if he could sort it out. Carrie shivered, twisting her necklace chain around her finger. I've never seen a dead person before. What, never? I take it black, by the way. His determination to get a cup of tea out of her made her laugh. It bubbled out of her nerves louder than she intended. She'd laughed like that in the hospital the night her granddad died. She hadn't meant to then, either, but it had burst out dark and mirthless and too loud for the late hour. Grandpa, yeah, but he was... I never saw anyone die like that. Ricky relented, dropping the acidity. All right, sit down, bloody hell, I'll do it myself. You look all in. I'm fine, I'm going to work later. Carrie rubbed her forehead. Someone called in sick, so Mercy texted me. Yeah, do you good. Ricky strolled around the range, taking in the layout and found the tea bags. See, I'm helping, he announced to the wall. I've probably got some beer Dad left here somewhere, Carrie said, sliding into a chair, if you want. I don't drink. This surprised her. No? Not a drop. 
Ricky made the tea in pious silence, stroking the worktop with light, quick movements, as if afraid he'd be burned if he touched it too long. His fingers wandered at the tiles on the wall, tracing the contours of the ceramics and grouting until the kettle boiled. She watched, her limbs too heavy to be useful. Is that because you're a soothsayer? That's right. He turned to her with strong black tea and dubbed the mug in front of her. It slopped over the sides and onto the table, nearly scalding her wrist. Hi-ho, hi-ho, an ascetic life for me. No sex, no drugs, no rock and roll. No processed sugars either, in case she was thinking of inviting me to a party, as would be neighbourly of you. His accent wandered around the British Isles with mocking ease, settling back into a version of Mrs Wen's, a more neutral version of the local dialect. Shouldn't be having tea at all, not technically, but I'm doing you a social courtesy. He slumped down into a chair. Right, I'll be honest with you. You ask, I'll tell. All right. Why aren't you allowed in the house? A certain meddling old hedgewitch, name of Miss Eglantine Valmy Pritchard, if you please, thought Gran or her sisters had killed the kid, Ricky said promptly, jerking a thumb at the chimney. She stopped the pendle, setting foot here again. You have to tie a curse like that to something, some sort of condition. She thought she'd let the house decide to let us in, thought she was being clever. Of course, Fairwood wasn't properly alive then, not like now, so she couldn't decide shit. Oh, she called out, lured people in, but not, you know, coherently. Bit of a bitch for us, since that hearthstone from the old Pendle cottage is imbued with energies we need. He grinned. Bet no one told you that at auction, did they? Caveat emptor applies and all that. Phil would have used the Latin to show off, but Ricky slipped it in without anticipating applause. Some people had a way with words. Carrie was coming to appreciate that what Ricky had was more of a spaghetti junction. Carrie couldn't help but grin. She glanced at the hearthstone covered by the range. That has magical properties. Didn't say that. Said energies, didn't I? If I meant magic, I'd have said magic. Ricky sipped his tea. It's the difference between poison and venom, know what I mean? Two different types of toxin. But they can both kill you, Carrie remarked. Ricky rolled his eyes. In certain doses. All right, I'm just being accurate. Said I'd be honest, doing my best. Carrie frowned. She stared down at her tea, black the way he took it since he hadn't asked her what she liked. Cocky sod, she thought, and the well-bred snicker of the smoking room filtered into her consciousness. She decided to play him at his own game. Can you put some milk in this? He blinked. What? Milk. I take tea with milk, thanks for asking. I'm offering you answers here. Magic. A whole new bloody world. I'm not your tea boy. Carrie kept up her poker face. Thought you said energy, it's not magic. The milk's in the fridge. Fuck me. He went to the fridge with bad grace and poked around inside, taking longer than necessary. Oi, this mince is out of date. Carrie narrowed her eyes, prompted by the kitchen's instincts towards hungry occupants. Her own appetite was severely lacking. Do you want it? Maybe. He turned the packet over. It's not bad quality, this. Knock yourself out. Ricky was salivating. She could see the trail of dribble dripping down his chin. Deal. Not like my farsight isn't wrecked as it is. Won't do any more harm. He pulled it out with the milk, sliding the bottle across to her and ripping off the plastic film with sharp, dirty nails. Carrie concentrated on her tea as he shoveled a handful into his mouth. Okay, your farsight. Can you tell me more about that? You saw my future. That's why you were in the tunnel. 
You thought, what, if you helped me, the house would let you in? Ricky wagged a finger at her, chomping on the meat. Exactly. She waited for him to swallow. And? And it's fading. The far sight does that sometimes, natural cycles, but it's inconvenient when it goes. Asceticism helps, keeps my head clear, but... He shoveled another handful in, chewed and swallowed. If I can use the Pendle Stone, I can get it back up to scratch without having to resort to the more, let's say, drastic methods to boost my abilities, since they're labour-intensive and a right pain in the arse. Drastic how? Carrie remembered the stink in Ricky's cottage, the sweet reek of decay. Carrie. Ricky put the mince down, picking bits out of his teeth. I can't tell you that. Let's not run before we can walk. Tell me or get out. Carrie folded her arms, taking him in. Ricky paused. She puts up a good front, don't she? He asked the house. He reached for the mince, but Carrie lunged across the table and snatched it out of range. Oi! He saw she was serious. Fine, all right, if you must know, I do rituals to channel forces from, well, let's call it outside, as in not of this reality. Sometimes I kill people and eat bits of them. Carrie whirled her face into a tight mask, her bladder melting into ice water. Seriously? Yeah, he wasn't joking. Why? Carrie knew she should be horrified, but she was too numb for that. Ricky grinned, sharp and bloody. I ain't praying to benevolent deities here. None of that blessed bee bullshit. Carrie shook her head, half convinced this was something her sleep-deprived brain had conjured. No, see, you're doing it wrong. You don't admit you kill people if you want to make me like you. Ricky frowned. Honesty's the best policy, that's what they say, right? Read that somewhere. He reached for the mince and she didn't stop him. The thing is, he said, tapping the table, the thing is, if I lied to you, said it was all Herblord, Starlight and all that airy-fairy crap, you'd find out eventually. I could spend my time tiptoeing around cleaning up the corpses and pretending to be vegan, but to tell the truth, love, I really can't be asked. It's a lot easier for me if we all know what we're signing up for at the start. And what I'm signing up for, Carrie said slowly, is some really dark shit, am I right? Basically, the kind of dark that leads to subtle madness, that sort of thing. Ricky licked the bottom of the pack, watery blood dripping down his chin as he tipped it up. Carrie looked away until he was done. Why would I ever agree to that? she asked. Why on earth would I ever let a self-confessed cannibal in here to do God knows what in my kitchen for... Why, exactly? Ricky blinked. He put the packet down. What do you mean, why would you? It's the right thing to do. Fair's fair, Pendlestone belongs to us. I saved your life, boosted your wish. Don't you go forgetting that. All I want is access to what's ours and being denied us. That strikes me as fair, and what I want to do with it ain't your business. Why shouldn't I call the police? Police won't do shit. I lived here my whole life. They're an inconvenience, not a threat. Ricky, that's not... Tell you what, Ricky said, leaning forwards, biceps bulging under his thin grey sleeves. I'll do you a favour. Every time I use the stone, I'll owe you something. You can't say fairer than that, can you? Carrie set her jaw. Suppose I said yes, she muttered, reluctant to even entertain the idea, but only to use it once and definitely not for anything involving body parts. 
What about if you tell me why Janet attacked me and if I'm in any more danger? Ricky sniffed. I can't, can I? He tapped his temple. I don't know. The girl up the chimney then, Carrie snapped, losing patience. What about her? What kind of right was she part of? Was that to see the future too? Ricky shook his head. Nah, kid's not much good for that. Best guess is some sort of bastardised youth right that went a bit wrong. Kid got found too soon, something like that. You need to hang him up for a while to get all the juice out of him. It's time consuming. And maybe old Jan, she knew something. She was hoping you wanted to sell it on. Then you show up to the History Society and tell them you want to live here and, knowing you, start asking questions. Jan gets the wind up, decides to scare you off. Except, you know, that it goes a bit wrong too. What do you mean, knowing me? Carrie demanded. You don't know me. Ricky chortled. You're joking. You've been asking me nothing but questions since the moment I introduced myself. That was a fair point. She rolled her eyes at the self-confessed cannibal sitting across the table, nursing his own mug of tea. Phil always said I asked too many questions. I can't help it. Who's this? My ex. She dropped her focus to the table. He'd have a right go at me if he could hear me. Say it served me right. Yeah, well, fuck him, eh? Ricky advised sagely. If you hadn't pissed Mrs Varney off, I couldn't have ingratiated myself into the house, so... He beamed. Worked a treat, as far as I'm concerned. Carrie sat back. Are you flirting with me, Mr Porter? The effect this had was stunning. Ricky's face stiffened into a horrified mask, eyes widening as his cheeks went pale, then red. You what? Relax! Carrie giggled as his stare gave way to mild panic. Ricky, I'm teasing. I'm sorry. Your face. She coughed, trying to stop laughing. Don't. That's not nice. Ricky mumbled, flushing. Don't laugh at me like that. It's, you can't laugh at me like that. I just told you I kill and eat people. Sorry. Ricky cleared his throat. Look, I've got things to do, so unless you're happy to give me a shot at the Pendlestone now. No. Suit yourself. He stretched out and gave her a mocking salute. You'll agree anyway. Sure, of course I will. Written somewhere, is it? He ignored her and went to put his shoes back on. How about I come to you next time and meet your mum and dad, Carrie suggested with heavy sarcasm as he left by the back door, since your invites rescinded. Be seeing you, neighbour, Ricky shot over his shoulder. He skulked off across the lawns with a few furtive glances back at the kitchen door and each time he saw Carrie still watching he gave her a wave until at last she waved back. She watched him disappear into the trees, her thoughts jumbled. He really thinks I'll let him in again, she murmured. The empty mince packet was the only proof he'd been there at all. He eats people. Ha! He eats people, of course he does. My neighbour's a chavy Hannibal Lecter. She frowned. Don't tell him I said that. He doesn't lie. Carrie steeled herself. Right, she said. Come on out. The house was still. I'm serious. Let me see you. Come on. The wall bulged, the form of a head pushing through, a body pulling away from the cupboards, until it stood there in the form of the last Sorvon to Fairwood. This is new for me too, Jack said in her voice as if reading her mind, with the petulance of the master bedroom and the patience of a stone. I'm not used to having my personality consolidated like this. It's like being condensed into a, a mobile outbuilding. And I did save your life. I'm not ungrateful, Carrie said, stung by his expression. I'm not, it's just... 
she trailed off as he turned to face her, arms folded across his chest and eyebrows raised. This has all been a bit much. Thank you for saving me. Thank you, Fairwood intoned, for saving me. The look he gave her reminded her of the sorrowful way the windows of the crows had stared down at her before its restoration, broken panes and empty frames expressing grief it had no words for, a house full of stories but no one to tell. It tugged at her heart. She got up and took an involuntary step towards him, coming closer than she intended. His arms were smooth like polished wood, shirt painted on but doing a good imitation of real cotton. Carrie couldn't help it. She had to touch him. As she moved her hand up the sleeve, the fabric parted from the arm until it was an actual shirt. She stepped nearer, tracing light fingertips over the chest, where the gouges bit deeply into the plaster flesh. She had too many questions. Can we trust Ricky? What do you think? You must know everyone in this town. People are pain, Fairwood murmured, reasserting its experience. But Ricky Porter isn't a thief. Not a vandal. Not a disfigurer. He never touched me. Never broke a window. Yeah, but what do you know about him? Fairwood pressed a palm to her forehead. Carrie gasped, flooded with a series of images, static lines zipping through her vision like flies, swarming with energy. A group of children jostled each other far below her, wide-eyed and perspiring. A young boy threw a stone, hitting her square in the eye. Her vision splintered. Her remaining eyes overlooked the lawn where another boy was watching, staying away. His rage boiled with her aura of pain. She felt it as he circled the perimeter and got the stone thrower alone, heard the scream and snap of bone. The sun and moon cycled across the sky in a dance, shadows sailing over her rough, crumbling skin. Her vision was blurred, distorted with dust and grime and a thousand cracks. She could see in all directions from the broken shards of her eyes lying on the ground, the reflections bouncing and light dazzling her, a thousand eyes in all directions. He was always just on the edge of her vision, always almost out of sight. Sometimes he disemboweled squirrels for something to do. A few years later he left lager cans behind, washing down pills that made him unpredictable and telling her it was his 15th birthday. She couldn't reply but the gaping wound in her kitchen mourned the absence of cake. He was not allowed to come closer. He slumped by the fence and watched the crumbling walls, longing in his glazed, wild eyes. Carrie gasped, her eyes constricting back into two points at the front of her head. Oh, she swallowed. That's... wow, that was weird. Poor Ricky. The sun came out from behind a cloud, showing up the streaks and marks on the window glass. She closed her eyes, and for a moment she felt the same excitement as in her dream, the same thrill of knowing her desire was made flesh and in the room with her. Her lungs filled with the same smell, a warm library and a summer garden. His hand on her arm was smooth and cold, quickly warming from her own heat. A light shiver shot down to her groin, pulling her forward until they were pressed together. It was like leaning into a solid wall. Anger surged up at the thought of stones flying at the windows. Poor you. Your heart is fast, Jack commented, concerned. The doctors say that isn't good. Carrie felt suddenly sick, 
Fairwood's memory flashed into her head, an elderly doctor with a brown leather bag and a stethoscope listening to the heartbeat of a sickly child in this very room as servants and cooks bustled about. She pulled away. What about Cathy Ross? Can you show me what happened? He shook his head. Cathy Ross was not killed here. Who stuffed her up the chimney then? Carrie reached out and took his wrist, hoping for another insight into the house's past. You know that. You must do. I don't. All she sensed was a frustrating web of static. The rushing in her ears made her wince and let go. What's that? I don't know. He caught her worried frown. A psychic block? Someone cleaned up after themselves pretty thoroughly. He dropped his head, window-grey eyes sorrowful. I'm sorry, I can't help. I've wanted to speak to you for such a long time. Carrie stared, mesmerised. I know. There was a moment of comfortable silence. Fairwood was the first to break it. You have to go to work. I wish I didn't have to, Carrie murmured. I don't... I don't know what to do. Fairwood let her go and moved off down the hallway, a spring in his step that made her feel lighter. You should ask Cathy, he called over his shoulder, before he walked into the staircase and disappeared back into his larger self. Let her out and ask her. What? How? But Fairwood was whole again, and the rooms replied in their harmony. In the box. They couldn't get rid of her. She's still here. Carrie stood still at the bottom of the stairs. The music box. That made sense too, in a light-headed way. With any luck, she remarked, heading up the ba- to the bedroom to get changed, I'll get some breathing space before anyone else tries to kill me. She needed to know what was going on. Finding out Janet Varney's secret was now top of her list. And that's the end of chapter eight. Welcome to part two. I really hope that you enjoyed it. We've got a great lineup for March. I'm really looking forward to sharing the author interview with you this month. Really looking forward to the bonus episodes that we've got, which will remain a surprise. Um, (laughs) Not really a surprise. Um, But yeah, I hope you enjoy all of that. Um, What do you think so far? Let us know. There's the Goodreads group that you can pop into, which is the Pagamon Sea Tourist Board. Uh, Links are all on the website. Just check out the blog posts um, and they generally link to that. And there's a link on the podcast page as well. Um, Yeah, hope you had fun. Um, We'll be back uh, next week for chapter nine. Um, And of course, um, the author interview is coming up on Monday. So have a great night, guys. Um, See you soon.